The Linux Action Show is created by Jupiter Broadcasting. It's sponsored by Ting. Go to last.ting.com to save off your first device or plan and DigitalOcean. Go over to digitalocean.com and use our promo code LASTDIGITAL and then you can spin up your own Linux rig for free. Welcome to Linux Action Show, episode 374. My name is Chris. My name is Noah. Hey, Noah. Good morning to you. Guess what? Big show today. In fact, you might say it's remotely a huge show. What? Well, I'll tell you why I say that. <laughs> because we're going to talk about X2Go, the best remote desktop solution for Linux. I don't want to hear it. It's true. It's the best. In fact, it's so good you could live in it. In fact, for a period of time, I actually worked out of an X2Go session as my full-time desktop. We're going to show you how to set it up, how awesome it is, and why it's a great secure desktop. And then in the news segment, is Flash finally dying? And could Linux vendors be leading the charge on this? There is some interesting news coming out of the SFF about Ubuntu's con contribution policies, and Firefox has a fork that just got a hundred. I'm sorry, Firefox OS. I should make. I should make that clear. Has just got a hundred million dollars in backing, and there's a bit of a catch. They're implying they might be taking some of it closed source and proprietary. What? Firefox OS being stolen, funded, and then locked down? Well, maybe, maybe not. We're going to talk about that in the news segment. And then in the feedback segment, we got some great emails from you guys. But first, Noah, you know what's up? It's our picks. It's our picks. We got the runs Linux, we got a desktop app pick, and a weekly open source project, or something you just might want to take advantage on the Linux desktop in our spotlight section. So first, let's start with the runs Linux pick, and I've been sitting on this one. I actually found out about the show because we got this in as so many runs Linux submissions, and at first I was like, oh, I'm never, I don't do TV shows anymore as runs Linux. It's just, they always do such a bad job in TV representing Linux. Usually it's like some hacker on a laptop and a bunch of matrix code coming down the screen. I just hate it. But consistently, we saw submissions for this TV show called Mr. Robot. Have you seen this, Noah? Have you heard of Mr. Robot? No. Uh-uh. All right. Well, brace yourself. This is real dialogue. This isn't like fake dialogue. This is real dialogue from the television show, Mr. Robot. And uh, this is uh, the, the uh, CTO of a big, like, Enron, en Enron type giant company, huge company, and he walks up to the consultant, who's an IT security consultant who they've hired, this giant company has hired, to do their uh, IT security practicing, and so the CTO is getting a tour of these consultants' offices, and he walks up to uh, our main character. So I see a running gnome. You know, I'm actually on KDE myself. I know this desktop environment is supposed to be better, but you know what they say, old habits, they die hard. An executive running Linux, but... Yeah, I know what you're thinking. I'm an executive. I mean, why am I even running Linux? It's, so I see. it's pretty cool. And, and, and uh, you know, it's uh, as actually uh, one of the, the top comments in the subreddit said, uh, lots of legit Linux in that show. That was jaxed. Are there still some details wrong? Like, uh, like they call the DDoS like one of the most advanced attacks ever, and the, kind of that kind of stuff. But mm -hmm. uh, it well, is depending on how you do your DDoS, it could yeah, be one of yeah. more most advanced attacks ever. But it's like. Um, you know, if they, they start at the beginning, like they get the Trojan on the user's computer, like through a CD or a thumb drive, and they get access to the person's computer, and then they log in and compromise the system and install malware to monitor the computer. Like they go through the whole process. Um, and this is not a spoiler, but in the most recent episode, uh, you know, the main character uses a Raspberry Pi running Linux to cause some, cause some trouble. It's pretty wild to see it. Uh, just, you know, and, and whenever they show a shot of the desktop, it's a Linux desktop on their machine mm -hmm. with a terminal window open. Uh, so it's called Mr. Robot, and uh, it's out right now. It's, I think it's like, uh, I, think it's just like I think the fourth episode just came out, and they've already been renewed for a second season. It's pretty neat to see uh, Linux get uh, that kind of attention. So I see you're running GNOME. You're running GNOME. 
And when I heard that line, I was like, what? <laughs> what? He didn't pronounce it Gnome. Yeah, yeah, that was pretty wild, so. That's coming that. a few times. That's our Runs Linux submission. And it's a pretty good show. And the com- there's a comment thread going, I, I, there must be some podcasts about this show, right? Out there, uh, audience, if, you've, if you know of any good uh, Mr. Robot podcasts, let me know. Because I just watched the fourth episode and I have lots of questions. Noah, my mind is spinning. Think, you think if you, yeah, if, you, if, you're in a, if, you're, if you want a television show and it's something that uh, doesn't make hackers look like uh, superhuman geniuses that uh, um, you know, have magical abilities in their keyboards that can just like take over you know, entire cities. If you, can get it, if you can get it like ridiculous enough, it becomes good again, though. Like, if you look at, like, the, the, the original, like, Hackers movie. Yeah, okay. That movie is so out there. Yeah. It's so ridiculous. It's yeah. great. I yeah. love it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this, one, this one's a little more war me. games, a little less Hackers, this, this television show. A little more war games. Uh, I'll tell you something else that's really awesome. Our first sponsor of the Linux Action Show, and that's DigitalOcean. Head over to DigitalOcean.com right now. That's where Noah and I rock so much of our Linux infrastructure these days. It's so simple and straightforward to get started. In fact, that's what they're dedicated to doing, is making sure it's the most intuitive and easy way to spin up your own cloud server. They give you a nice HTML5 console up in the sky, which is so cool, so that way you can watch it from post all the way up to boot, and you get started in less than 55 seconds. And pricing plans start at only $5 a month. They'll get you 512 megabytes of RAM, a 20 gigabyte SSD, one CPU, and a terabyte. A terabyte. Have you ever busted through that? I mean, like the terabyte is a—it's no. very generous. No, I've not even, not even come close. Yeah, and if you're not in a even co- not even on my highly used droplets, I haven't come close. Yeah, and if you're in a colo, you know how much you would pay for a terabyte, and it's so nice because DigitalOcean has fantastic data center locations too, so you get really really good speeds. In fact, they got da- they got uh, data centers in New York. They have them in San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, London. A brand new one in Germany. The one in Germany has 40 gigabit e connectors to each hypervisor. Their fastest SSDs yet. It's positioned regionally, so that way all of Germany's neighbors get great access. I mean. It is a really, really slick layout, just at, at the essentials right there. SSD, right? Powered by Linux and KVM. Great data centers. Super good value at $5 a month. Then they top it all off with their awesome control panel. It is really a fantastic experience made simple. It's very intuitive, and power users can replicate the control panel on a larger scale with DigitalOcean's straightforward API. And either through the API or just by using their HTML5-based console, you're going to be able to create and destroy and transfer droplets, be able to replicate them and, you know, recreate, like, template them, basically, which saves a bunch of time. Full DNS management. Of course, a very sophisticated snapshot system that, on the surface, looks really easy and straightforward to use, and then you could never go any deeper than that if you want. And then when you expose the advanced functionality with that API, it really clicks. Oh, and speaking of clicking, they have one-click installs for things like Ruby on Rails, Docker, GitLab, Ghost, WordPress, the whole LAMP stack. And what's dope about that is when you deploy something with one of these one-click installations, it's not like some one-off implementation that's now supported by DigitalOcean, some weird uh, cockamamie installation. It is from the distro's repos. It comes, the updates come from the repo. You just continue to manage it like any other Linux box. They just save you some time getting started. So let's save you some money. Last Digital, L A S Digital. Use that promo code, Last Digital. One word, lowercase. It'll give you a $10 credit. Trap that $5 rig. Two months for free. $5, two months for free. $5 rig, 10 you get, that's crazy. Because you get a tell, you know, but you get a $10 credit. You could try out the $10 rig. In fact, Go check out their pricing. It's really straightforward, and I've recently deployed a $10 rig because I get a gigabyte of RAM, and I get a 30 gigabyte SSD, which was perfect for Minecraft. Uh, and and I'm, I'm perfectly happy paying $10 a month, so that way my son has his own private Minecraft server that just him and my wife and somebody else and a couple other people can play on. It's very nice, and for $10, it's absolutely worth that. Here's the cool thing, though. If you guys have some testing and you want to do it up on a public cloud, 
hourly pricing is all f- also available on DigitalOcean. Now connect, now connect that with that API. You could spin up infrastructure on demand and pay in an hourly rate. DigitalOcean.com. Use the promo code LASTDIGITAL. Try out CoreOS. Try out FreeBSD. Try out Docker. What a great opportunity just to learn for free. DigitalOcean.com. Don't forget to also pay authors for their contributions to their community section and their hiring as well. Check out their We're Hiring page. DigitalOcean.com. they got Linux admin jobs available. You never know, guys. DigitalOcean.com. Use the promo code LASTDIGITAL. And a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Linux Action Show. In fact, uh, some of today's content will be pulled down off a of DigitalOcean droplet uh, just shortly because uh, that's how Noah and I pass files back and forth for the show is through a DigitalOcean droplet. <coughs> Okay, Noah, get ready for this next pick, because at first I was like, what, what, what? And I'm not even quite sure how you say it. Agisub, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I, I was going to say a hard G, Agisub. Agisub, um, okay. I forget which one's which. But uh, so basically what it is, is a cross-platform open source utility for creating and modifying subtitles. Um, now... I have never done actual subtitles. I've only done like like really short things. And my kids say something really cute, um, but I don't think it's going to be intelligible to a lot of people. Mm. I will I'll add text, but I've always done it inside of the video editor and just like a generic like you know text or whatever. Um, so what this allows you to do is it allows you to have uh, it allows you to actually do like professional subtitles and in, add it as like in, a track to the MKV file, right? Right. Right, exactly. So, so then, then you can have the you know the entire transcript narrated, and then you can Turn it you on can specify off. yeah when those things should come in, and then also yeah it functions fine with the you know if you burn it to a DVD, if people still do that, or if you have the the you know the the subtitle strikes, you can turn those on and off. Um, so yeah, okay. it's this is definitely one of those things that I have put into my oh that's definitely getting used. Uh, it's just a matter of when and, and for what. Yeah, I don't I, have a hearing disability, so... I want to thank uh, Renoko, or however you say his name, Renaka. Uh, he submitted it to the subreddit, uh, and this is what his reason why he uses it. And I thought this was kind of neat, Noah. He says... Um the ad pick may not be of interest to most of you, uh, but uh, here, let me zoom in a little bit because it's a little cut off. Uh, but since it's crucial for my work uh, for the last years, I decided to donate to the project and pitch it here in case some of you might need something s- at a similar point. I just quit my job working for a small TV station where I was responsible for, among many other things, translating and subwriting, uh, I'm sorry, subtitling two monthly TV programs. When I started working there, there was nothing set up for this type of work until my arrival. They were outsourcing the subtitles and additional translator was proofing and manually entering each subtitle. Anyways, when I started started working here, things needed to change. So this is where he found Agus Sub, or Agus Sub, or however you say it. He was researching different solutions, and he found the type of software that helped him and his work colleagues reduce their work time considerably. Once he figured out how to make it with the software, he got the rest of the workflow all set up for everybody else, became a new job, he trained his colleagues to work with the program, and it was smooth sailing from there on. The best thing is this software is really powerful. It's open source, cross-platform. Uh, uh, which meant that my colleagues could use their Windows machines, whereas I could stay on Linux. And then somebody else also points out that it's really popular in the anime community for adding uh, community subtitles to anime movies, too, which is, which is kind of an interesting, uh, sort of like people are crowdsourcing the subtitling of anime movies, which is neat. So it's Agis or Agis Sub. Uh, we're not quite sure exactly what the pronunciation is, but... Uh, if we'll you get corrected like this, in the feedback. Yeah, well, I'm sure we will. <laughs> if you need something like this, though, you... you uh, I'm sure you know all about why you would want it. So check it out. We'll have a link for it in the show notes. And this next one's kind of also media-related. And I didn't even know this was a problem because I've never even tried it. But Noah, oh, you've, man. you've had problems you, with Amazon so, Prime? I have. Like, so Amazon Prime used to work great the on video Lynch. streaming. Fact, before, yeah, the video streaming. In fact, before it was before Netflix had even had a workable solution on Linux, yeah. uh, the only way to watch streaming video on Linux from any real service was, was Amazon Prime. And it didn't just and use Flash? So, and then it broke. 
and you had to install this HAL plugin before it, but before you could get it fixed, and it, it was this convoluted process. Uh-huh. And even then, it would only work like half the time. Like half the time it would work, and half the time it wouldn't. And in fact, I'd help people in the mumble room troubleshoot their uh, Prime streaming installation, and it, it was it was just a it was just a cockery. Now there is a Add-on. Well, it's the, the add-on has been there for a long time, user agent switch, but somebody has figured out the string you can put into a user agent switcher for Firefox or for Chrome. And it basically, if you're not familiar with what a user agent switcher is, it essentially it is, it is the part of the web browser that identifies on the network what browser and what operating system and, and system information is being, is being used. Yeah. And based on that, the server will allow you to do certain things or not allow you to do certain things. So, for example, if it says, oh, well, you are, uh, you're running Linux. We don't support Linux, so they'll just say you can't stream service. But if you tell it that you're running Windows or if you put in this specific stream, then it will, it, it will let you play it. And I tried it, and it works flawlessly. It's like hmm. the easiest thing to set up ever you you add the plugin you drop yeah. that little string yeah. in and then when you want to watch prime you click on that string and it uh it opens right up so we got it's, we got two picks we got the user agent switcher for firefox and we got user agent switcher for chrome you guys are probably familiar with this and then we'll have the string that you put in the user agent switcher in the show notes you just copy and paste that and you know it looks like noah it looks like what it's really doing is it's making amazon think that uh that your fire your google tv so you'd have to turn right. this on when you visit amazon prime you just it would be a button in your toolbar or in your menu and then it starts telling the Amazon Prime service that you're a Google TV. And so it goes, oh, well, then I'll right. just give you probably, what, H.264 video instead of wrapping it in DRM or whatever, and it just plays. And it shows you like this. This is a perfect example of security through obscurity is where they just do yeah, user yeah. agent string matching and whatever one, right. whichever one matches either rejects or gets accepted. And so it's easy. It's to also a perfect example. It's also a perfect example of where I, when I say that the limitations of Linux are social limitations, not technical limitations. This is what I'm talking about. There is no reason that that uh, that Intuit can't write QuickBooks for Linux, or that Adobe can't write Photoshop for Linux. And this is another example of how Amazon Prime Video would work perfectly on Linux. There's no technical limitations for using it on Linux. It's just a social limitation of they decide they don't want you to be able to quote unquote steal their movies because this is how we end piracy is by wrapping everything in DRM. And so they intentionally make it so that you can't use it on Linux. Yeah. But that's on the software vendor, on the service provider. Not uh, it's not, it's a, not problem a function with Linux. problem. Linux right. works just fine. Yeah. Yep. You know what else can be fine? Our meetup, meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting. Last chance for us to plug it because uh, after literally after we get off the air, Noah's getting in the plane and flying out here. And we're going to be meeting up on Wednesday, July 22nd in Portland, Oregon. If you're in the Portland area, if you're going to be attending OSCON, go get more information at meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting. We have uh, um, three days left to sign up. And we could be changing the venue depending on how many people show up. So please RSVP. Meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting. Looking forward to seeing you guys there. Just a couple of days. We'll be down at OSCON, too. So if you're going to be at OSCON uh, on Wednesday, July 22nd, come say hi to Noah and I, and then maybe we'll go out and have a beer afterwards. Also, you know those picks we just covered, the ones that uh, Noah and I just talked about? You can find out all of our previous picks at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash lastpicks. We have a list maintained there of all of our picks, uh, Android, desktop picks, spotlight picks, and uh, it's a great list to refer to if you're setting up a new computer or a new Android device. You can just go through the whole list and install some of the best stuff available for the platform. With the picks all done, let's do the news.
Hey, it's the news, and this episode is brought to you by... Ting.com. Go to last.ting.com. That's our special homepage right there. Last.ting.com gets you the $25 discount off your first Ting device or $25 of Ting service, which paid for more than my first month. The reason is, is Tings only pay for what you use. They just take your minutes, your messages, and your megabytes, and whatever bucket you volunteer, that's all you pay. And it's just a flat $6 for the line, and then he taxes there. It's pretty slick. Uh, and so I've got myself a few phones because I don't have to pay, like, um... I was looking at one mobile service provider. It's $30 a month to have a new line. That's like just one of them. Ting, it's $6 per device. So that makes it very economical to scale up as you need. And what I love about Ting is they make self-help super easy. They have a video over on their site that you can check out about the Ting dashboard. And it really is this slick. In fact, one of the things I love about Ting is they view this whole thing as a platform. They iterate it with features. They roll it out. You can go in one spot and get a snapshot of your usage. Each individual device name is in there, so it's easy to follow. It's really like, also, the same exact interface across all of the different interfaces. So you have tablets, you have the desktop, you got the phone apps, all of that give you the same Ting dashboard. One thing I discovered a long time ago is I was having a hard time keeping track of the phones once we got a few phones, and I didn't remember which numbers go to which, and so at one spot in the web page, I set the name, I said Rekai's HTC One, Chris's Nexus 5, right? I set it once in the web app. And it has then populated that name everywhere in the Ting platform. So I see it in, I see it on the web. I see it when I check for minutes. I see it when I use the mobile app. It is so slick the way they just connect it all together for me, make it really easy to turn a device on or off. So even though it's only six dollars a month, if I'm not going to use it for a little while, I just turn the device off. And they give me the ability to do all of that, or just turn off individual features like picture messaging or track it or set alerts. Their dashboard is super, super nice. But if you ever get stuck, you can also call them at one eight five five Ting FTW, and a real human being answers the phone, which is really nice if you also get friends and family on Ting. So go to last.ting.com. They give you a twenty five dollar discount. You can uh, go peruse their device selection. Remember, these devices are unlocked, too. So when you buy them, you're owning them outright. And the really nice thing is they have a lot of great price ranges. You can just get a $9 SIM card if you'd like. Or, uh, you know, like here's a $47 Kyocera, $50, $58 LG 450. Now, these are all with our discount. We've got a last.ting.com. Then they, then they go up from there. The Moto G's up on here, the Moto 6, the Samsung Galaxy S6. So many great devices. I love this Netgear Zing. It's back on the market now. If you were looking for this earlier, it's back. $139, it's a $6 hotspot after that. No contract, OLED screen, you get to see your signal, all of that. If you need data on demand, $6 a month, what a great deal. Go to last.ting.com. Go get yourself a phone that you own, that you operate, just like when you buy a computer. No contract, nor the termination fee. Last.ting.com. And a big thank you to Ting for sponsoring Linux Action Show. I love it. You're bringing your Ting device to OSCON, right, Noah? Heck yeah. In fact, the newest Ting device on my account, uh, my father-in-law had AT&T. And uh, he upgraded his phone, so he had this older phone. And the, the older phone that he had was specifically suited uh, for um, introducing uh, seasoned folk to smartphones. Yeah. And that's kind of what got him started on the smartphone. So I said, well, what are you doing with it? He goes, oh, I don't need it. And AT&T is super easy to unlock devices. So I took it into AT&T and I said, we unlock this and they have a little web portal. You type in the serial number, it spits back a code. So I unlock it, put a uh, Tim Singh card in it for nine bucks and I gave it to my mom and I said, here's your smartphone. And so now she has a Android powered smartphone, uh, her first smartphone. And it doesn't, it because it cost me $6 a month, I don't really care. And, yeah. if, and in fact, if she ever wasn't going to use it, I would just take the SIM card and put it in something else because, and just move it around. Yeah. So that's really nice. Yeah. Last.ting.com. Thank you, Ting. So this has been an interesting week for Flash. Uh, a couple of zero day exploits came out because of the hacker team compromise and, uh, Different uh, companies like Facebook and a few others came out and said, we're going to recommend we pull away from Flash. And then some companies like System76 
went even further. Uh, and they uh, they said they're abandoning Flash on all of their machines. They're not going to ship a machine with Flash. Noah, do you think this is going to make a difference? Yeah, I do. It, and the reason I think it's going to make a difference is, as a security professional, I am all for getting away from Flash, especially when you have such serious security vulnerabilities and things that people aren't even necessarily aware of that are executing code on their machine. However, that being said, I think what most people are going to notice, I think that what people like my mother are going to notice yeah. is... When she goes to certain websites, she can't play video. And even more than that, if that's yeah. not bad enough, even the ones that she wouldn't notice that she's not going to play the video, she's going to see that ugly uh, banner at the top that says Firefox is, you know, per well, I guess that wouldn't show up if it wasn't installed to begin with. Um, but so I just, I think what she's going to notice is, I think what a lot of people are going to notice is just that they can't play certain videos. Mm -hmm. And you and I may be aware of workarounds where I can install a plugin inside of uh, Firefox that will, you know, that will, uh, that will bypass Flash and, 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 you know, move it to something else but if you're not aware of that if you don't know how to do that then all you know is that these computers from system 76 don't play video yeah on Facebook. i'm not actually i'm not a big fan of flash uh and i'm not a fan of adobe i think i've made that point clear on the show before um but i don't actually think this is necessarily a good idea i mean i'm glad that system 76 is taking a principled stand i do like to see that um but i in my opinion the web and it sucks so so bad but my the in my opinion the web is not ready for the removal of Flash. Uh, there's right. certain content creator tools that we use that are not available in anything but Flash, and those are even things that are made that are available to us by Google on the back end of YouTube that are only available in Flash. Um, there is no open source working alternative to live streaming video. There is um, some solutions based around VP8 using WebM, but right now they're not they're not economical. You can't you can't really use them on large production. So there's really no way to replace uh, reliable live streaming video. Uh, anybody who's tried to watch a live stream in RTSP or HLS knows what a clown show that is. And right now, all of the replacements for Flash are all based around H.264 that actually work. So we're just giving up one proprietary thing for another proprietary patent-encumbered thing. Yes, the Flash plugin has its own set of security issues and problems that are outside of the video codec issue. But I think so often as Linux users, we get so excited that something proprietary is going away that we just sort of leap to the next thing because, oh, it's a web standard. But you know what? Right. If, we, if we replaced today Flash live streaming with HLS video, then what you would be getting is H.264 video that is wrapped up in tiny M3U playlists and then spit at your device constantly while your machine, like a maniac, sits there and tries to reassemble all of these playlist files and then links all these H.264 videos at the same time also is attempting to track the audio stream, which is coming on a separate stream from the video stream, also in these, M also, uh, you know, uh, prescribed in these M3U files. And then VLC or your iPhone or your Android device sits there like crazy and repackages all of this together and decompresses the H.264 video. And that's your replacement for Flash if you want live streaming. It's a clown show. So it is unfortunate that I feel like at the same time we have to make this step forward. That's why Apple has blocked Flash on iOS. There's really no Android phone today that ships with current Flash, right? I don't think so. And I think it's really good that System76 has taken a principled stand here. However, I think the better route, and I just don't know if it's ever going to happen, the better route would be that companies do their best to keep users safe, sandbox Flash, do something to protect users in the meantime, right. and then we put pressure on Adobe to make a public Flash ends June 15th, 2016, no more Flash. Like something that is an industry-wide line in the ground that says right here, this is the day we have to stop. Because what we have now is this piecemeal system where people are going to get a System76 computer, and for most of them it's going to be fine, but for some of them some basic thing isn't going to work for them that a computer that right. they bought from somebody else would be able to do. 
and forget just for a minute live streaming. I have a I have an appliance that I use every single day to do. Well, I, we've talked about it on the show. My my ubiquity uh, uh, controller. Um, it is it is essentially even it is a computer, but basically it is an appliance solution. Um, and I am very very hesitant to make changes to that box because it, it controls so much vital infrastructure. If that box were to crash or go down, I would uh, I would lose control of every access point we manage mm. uh, until I get it back up. So I'm very hesitant to make changes. And guess what? The little statistics and in insight stuff all uses Flash to render all that. Yeah. So. Updates are slow because, I, one, I am a slave to to Ubiquity until they actually publish a new update for the controller software. And then even once that's available, I have to go uh, I have to go put that in and roll it into production and hope to yeah. God yeah. nothing breaks because otherwise I have a huge problem. Ubiquity is and just this, one I example. Would, yeah, well, yeah, you're right, right. I'm just, Because I'm assuming that there are probably yeah. other routers and access points and stuff that have little web-based like configs. Ross in the chat room points out, EMC storage solutions use Flash heavily. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of phone management systems that have call centers to manage the call center to drag around calls between desks are all Flash-based. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so in and so it's I I really 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 need uh, it, to leave Flash. It, give me a little pop up that says uh, this is insecure, but then give yeah. me the little option to just yeah. say I don't care if it's insecure. I want to use it anyway then, because at the end of the day, an insecure computer where I can get my job done is better than no computer. Why can't so Adobe is crapping out updates like mad right now because of these zero day vulnerabilities? They're just their product is full of. It's unbelievable how many how many zero days are in something like this. So why can't they, when they're crapping out one of these updates, also crap out a countdown that says, it starts warning people, six months, Adobe Flash is retiring. And then three months, Adobe Flash is retiring. One month, Adobe Flash is going to discontinue well, working in 30 days. Seriously, because here's why I say this. If it doesn't come from Adobe, what we have is a bunch of hothead advocates that go out there and just decide on their own, we're going to pull Flash here, we're going to pull Flash here. And it's a piecemeal system, and it actually ends leaving us in this quagmire of half-implemented here. Ha Look at all of the half-implemented, half-done standards that we have out there, because we do it this, this, we take this approach, and we just sort of go at it like a hothead, and we just move forward, and we don't take a rational, reasonable approach to actually sunset something that is a detriment. It is a threat. It is a threat to the security of the technology system. Like, look at, like, governments that use... Uh, here's a perfect example. Stuxnet. Stuxnet was infected by a flash file that was embedded in a Microsoft Excel spreadsheet. A, a Trojan that could destroy centrifuges was delivered to an aggressive regime through a flash file. That's, that really happened, okay? So Flash is a dangerous technology. I am not trying to advocate the continued use of Flash. In fact, because it is so dangerous, I am trying to advocate an extremely rational and extremely regimented, controlled approach to shutting it down. Because I think at our current approach, it's going to be a disaster. Because it's never going to fully go away like this. It's always going to be bits and pieces like this. But it seems to me having a countdown or something like that, that's going to notify the user, but that does no one any good. If when, 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 when even you or I, if we see a thing that says Flash is going away in six months, we're like, huh, that really sucks. And as a content producer, you might, you might do something about that. But for the most part, it's not the users that need to be aware of this. It doesn't need the, to be. It's the developers and the maintainers. And the reality is they, uh, so at least if they're why, even okay, let me ask you well this. educated. Let me ask you this. Why does Netflix publicly post which ISPs have the worst performance for Netflix users? 
It doesn't do anything to the ISPs. It does, it, what does telling the user your ISP is slower than the other ISP? What does that do? That puts pressure on Netflix from the customer standpoint. I, as a content creator, all of my, all of my consumers start coming to me and saying, hey, I can't watch your videos anymore. They're, they're disabling Flash on my computer. You damn well better yeah. bet I'm going to figure out how to make that solution work. But in the meantime, there's not really an incentive there. And I, and there, I, I can tell you this because we have watched live stream technology languish and essentially mm -hmm. not proceed any further any further forward because it's good enough with flash and so the technology just never really moves forward yeah well it'll be interesting to see uh what replaces flash but if it is another proprietary standard i agree i don't think we've actually really accomplished anything right i hope i hope one. what system 76 is doing here is i hope kind of like I hope other people jump on. Imagine like if we got a few other companies, like if they could start a snowball effect here and get more and more people to get onto this. Like that would mm -hmm. really be something. And and you know, S System Seventy Six, if their customers really needed it, could include it with their driver package thing that you could click a button and it would probably install it. So it's not yeah. like it's not flexible. But uh, yeah, and also this week, uh, Firefox also had temporarily disabled uh, uh, Flash. Uh, until Adobe updated it, it uh, so that you know everybody that was running Firefox had Flash blocked for a day. So there is definitely more momentum behind this than we have ever seen. And like I mentioned earlier, the Facebook's head of uh, security has also called for uh, for Flash to be shut down. He's actually uh, he's he's actually putting more pressure on Adobe. And now the phrase "Occupy Flash" is starting to uh, float around Twitter. And there's even it even has a logo. What do you think of that? Occupy Flash. That's a beautiful logo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well. I guess if you're going to get passionate about something. <laughs> this kind of got me fired up. I, I don't know. I don't know, how to, I don't know what to make of this. So uh, there's this Firefox OS fork out there called H5OS. It just got $100 million. So in March, former Mozilla president Lee Yong left from the startup codenamed Gone Fishing uh, with a mission to build a, wo a web-oriented mobile OS that he was going to base it on Firefox OS, you know, like maybe fork it or something like that. The company is now called Acadline Technologies, or something like that, Acadline, uh, and the OS is dubbed H5OS. Now, this is all from a CNET report. They've received $100 million in funding from a Hong Kong-based Chinese state-controlled company uh, called Tingshan Unigroup International. The new name uh, uh, and funding has emerged almost two months after Mozilla CEO Chris Beard had announced he was stepping down the Firefox OS cheap phone, like the $25 phone, giving up on it. Mm -hmm. uh, so this is two months after they announced they're going to refocus on their phone stuff there. Uh, and so they go on to point out, this is, the, this, is the, this is the tricky bit, and this is the part we don't really know so much about, and this is the part that maybe has people the most concerned. In the CNET story this week, their CEO of the uh, Acadine Technologies, uh, Li Gong, uh, he's now, uh, he said that owning an OS is extremely important if you can do it. It's very profitable if you can do it. And then later he was quoted saying, we must move up and scale at the supersonic speed of the mobile industry. Be pragmatic and flexible and look beyond Silicon Valley for inspiration. So it appears that he's considering, some people speculate, sort of locking down this fork of Firefox OS or, or, or laying on top of it, like proprietary services on top of it. Um, he's made comments about not, he's not being comfortable that Mozilla is the owner and primary driver, in his words, of the Firefox OS project. What do you think, Noah? Is, is, can we have some uh, trouble here? No, not at all. I, that, that This is the beauty of open source. If he wants to take it, I mean, he, there's only so much he can do to lock it down. You're right. I mean, within the realm of, of open source, you can only lock it down so much. But if he wants, if he thinks he can do a better job and he can offer people something, 
go right ahead. The, I don't think the market for the people that are in the market for Firefox OS, especially at this stage, are going to go anywhere near that, right? Firefox OS doesn't mm. have, there, there's not a huge market uh, to begin with because it's so, the market is so heavily dominated by Android and iOS. So they're, they, yeah. they are breaking into a niche market to begin with. And the people that, that care enough to go out and flash their phone with a different OS or buy one of the, you know, go, go to one of the very few vendors that, that make a specific phone for Firefox OS, you really tell me that you think that anyone is is, is going to install you know essentially a proprietary version or a more proprietary version I don't see it happening I don't see so it happening at let's all let's talk about the table scraps they're fighting over to, in the US market oh I'm sorry this is the global market IDC global smartphone market estimates through Q1 2015 global smartphone markets uh, Q1 tw- let's just go with the latest quarter okay we don't care about 2012 2013 Q1 2015 78% of the market goes to Android is that what it is? It's a little pixelated. It's hard for me to read. Let me see if I can zoom in on this for you. Yeah, 78% goes to Android, okay? 18.3% goes to iOS of the market, of the global smartphone market. Windows Phone, 2.7%. BlackBerry OS, 0.3%. Others, so Ubuntu Touch, Firefox OS, Sailfish OS... 0.7. In fact, it's actually gone down. It's been going down. Yeah. Uh, That's what they're fighting so over. They're, yeah. <laughs> right. So uh, you're gonna for, you're telling me you're going to for and here's the thing that other OS that is that alone is split between things like uh, like uh, I assume that uh, uh, Yala's in there. Put yeah. It in there. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know what. And I've seen a lot more yellow phone yep. uh, users and advocates yep. than I have for Firefox yeah. and Ubuntu phone. And then Ubuntu. so uh, whatever whatever minuscule percentage that is, those people, I I I, I don't know. It just it yeah. You're right. It it seems it, one. It seems totally that the amount of people that we're worried about seems so small. It's not even worth considering. But even if you even if you care just on a principle basis, on a principle basis alone, uh, you know, if one user is wrong, then they're all wrong or whatever. Even if you take that view. You still have to go with the fact that somebody has to intentionally seek out yeah. this more proprietary Can version I, of Firefox OS because it has even less steam than Firefox and doesn't well, even have the brand. Let me give you my it. closing thoughts on that because I, I totally grok what you're saying. Like, if I'm a Firefox OS user today, I probably care about all of the free software fundamentals, and that's why I'd be buying a Firefox OS phone. However, mm-hmm. Noah, I think if this was early days Android, you could make the same exact argument. And look what Google has done Google has made the proprietary versions of Android where they lay in the Play API, they replace every single core mm-hmm. application, the web browser, the camera camera, everything. They replace it with proprietary Google apps that require that the OEM get an agreement with Google. All of that stuff, they've systematically been replacing the open source components with proprietary components. These guys could do the same exact thing to Firefox OS and maybe even make something fairly compelling. It seems to have been a very successful strategy for the Googs. But the but would Android have succeeded in the way it had, had Google not gotten behind it and backed it? Yeah, I don't know. Probably not. So, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, maybe. So, yeah, but this, to me, this is the exact opposite, right? Because I think that the big company with the recognizable name and the branding and stuff, that is Firefox. That is Mozilla. Yeah, you're right. And you're and right. then and now you have some offshoot yeah. that is, is kind of like the second yeah. brand who's making something that not even the, the, the name supports. Yeah. I don't know. I just, I don't see it as a concern at yeah, all. Yeah, I think, you know what, you're right. In fact, this is going to be more like a Samsung to Android than it is because it's like, because even though Samsung has a name, 
mm-hmm. I still trust the Google brand over the Samsung brand. I prefer to I prefer a non gunked up phone in the most part. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I kind of mm-hmm. like some of the stuff that they have in the S6. But you get my point. Like, there's a, they, mm-hmm. they, these OEMs get a reputation for gunking up Android. These guys, if they're not careful, will get a reputation for gunking up Firefox OS. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting points, Noah. All right, well, I'd like to know what the audience thinks. LinuxActionShow.reddit.com. If there's another news story you'd like to see us cover, that's the other place to submit that. LinuxActionShow.reddit.com. Your, vo- your votes, your comments, all of those things really matter, too. It's not just the submission. I appreciate all of that. All right, Noah, that's all the news for this week. Let's go look at X2Go. Have you ever looked at your Windows buddies and been super, super jealous of their pretty slick remote desktop protocol? Well, guess what? Linux can do them one better, and I mean a lot one better. I used to use this technology when it was called No Machine NX way back in the day, and I used it to bypass firewall restrictions and to set up a really, really nice remote desktop system that I could even watch streaming video inside of. And the best part? It was all protected with SSH. We're going to tell you more about X2Go, one of the coolest streaming solutions for yourself or for your enterprise. But first, I want to thank our segment sponsor, the folks over at O'Reilly's OSCON, which is going on next week. It's kicking off the 20th How do through the 24th. O'Reilly OSCON. How do they cooperate when they don't know each other? Uh, how can we actually create shared artifacts and systems that allow us to share? Think about that for a minute. You know, open source is not just a technology. It was actually a new way of human organization. So we have a special promo code, promo code Linux, to get 20% off a gold, platinum, silver, or bronze pass. OSCON is a great place. If you work with open source technology, it is a great place to get hands-on with the people that are guiding and moving that technology forward. If you want to learn more about open source technology, it's a great place to go to learn more. They have some really deep hands-on sessions this year, some new stuff that they've never done before. And then there's that Expo Hall, the place where you get to see things like the Open Hardware Alley. You get to see folks that are working on the big iron out there, like people like at GitHub, Rackspace, and independent projects. It's also a great place we had to chat with Saren, uh, or, I'm sorry, Karen from the Free Software Conservancy. I'd be really curious to catch up with her about this Ubuntu news they have this week, if she's down there. OSCON is a pretty fun event. If you use the Promo code Linux, you get a 20% discount. And also, we're going to be there on the 22nd. We'd love to have you come say hi to us. We're also going to have a meetup afterwards, and uh, it is going to be a pretty fun event in the Portland area. Check it out. If you're going to be down, you can find out more at meetup.com slash jupiterbroadcasting. But the big bits to take away from OSCON, go to OSCON.com, use the promo code Linux to get a 20% discount, and be down there and come say hi to us on Wednesday. Noah and I will be toting around microphones, cameras, sipping on the beer. Come get the full stack exposure, uninterrupted focus, and stay current on the technologies that are going to change very fast that impact your world. 17 years of OSCON. Promo code Linux. Go to OSCON.com and hope to see you guys there next week. I'm looking forward to it, Noah. I'm also looking forward to you coming out and hanging out. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, it is going to be a blast. I want to try Washington beer. I keep getting promised. This time we have to actually do it. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, wow. I know the best place. They just they just tapped a new beer. Uh, it's a little bit of a drive, but we are going there. And uh, I wanted, oh, they just tapped it yesterday while I was out of town. And uh, perfect. I've been waiting to go. So uh, big thanks to O'Reilly and OSCON for sponsoring the Linux Action Show uh, segment. Uh, they make this segment possible. Use that promo code Linux to get that 20% discount when you go to OSCON. And check it out. Check it out. OSCON. See you guys there in a couple of days. So, no, I know there's a couple of things you wanted to note on this video for X2Go before we get started. So uh, go ahead and take it away, sir. 
yeah, basically the the video is is pretty self-explanatory, but it's one of those things where if you if you've ever done this where you record something, uh, when you're doing something live, it's perfectly acceptable to make a couple mistakes or or recorrect yourself or restart a thought, but there's no excuse to do that with with uh, with pre-produced work. Which this um, is. So yeah, right. So anytime <laughs> I have a statement, if something, if something, if there's a mistake, I go back and redo it. Well, the problem is after like seven or eight times of saying the same thing, I just, I kind of waited for my mouth to finish the thought and then, uh, and then my brain would re-engage and I would pick it up. And I didn't notice it until, cause I shot the video on like Monday or Tuesday and I didn't notice it until last night last or night. the night before when I was editing it. But now I've already have all the equipment packed up to take to Oscon. It's too late. So I couldn't reshoot it. And, and yeah. And so I, I, I made this horrible mistake where I said, I said the X server draws the content on your screen. And obviously that is the X client. So uh. before everyone bothers to send me emails and telling me that how X actually works, I know, I know it just, it, it, it was a it was a blob. We'll forgive. And, and so, yeah, all right, yeah. all right, we forgive. All right, here we go. Other than that, the rest of the video is relevant. <laughs> this week, I'm going to be giving you a demonstration of how you can set up your own X2Go instance. Now, before we can go any further of all the advantages that X2Go can offer, we first have to talk about exactly what X2Go is. To do that, we need to understand what the X environment is and how it functions as a server and a client. Most of us are familiar with the concept of a file server and a file client. The file server being something like FreeNAS that hosts a variety of files, text documents, pictures, movies, that kind of a thing. I open up my file client, which is like my laptop. I browse to my server and I'm able to pull files off the server or put files back on. And that is that server-client relationship. When it comes to X, it's much the same way. Inside of your computer, even if it's just one computer, you have an X server and an X client. The X server is what draws all of the stuff onto your desktop, but what makes your laptop or desktop have a graphical interface. Then you have the X client, and the X client, even though they're all in one machine, connects to the X server, both of them running again on the same machine, and displays that. It happens so seamlessly that you probably may not even know it exists. One of the things that you can do with something like X11 forwarding is you can separate that back out. You can put the server on one machine and you can have the client on another machine, and then they can connect and interact across the network rather than running on the same machine. X2Go leverages that advantage of X and allows you to host a desktop environment on the cloud or on a server. In this case, we're going to be using DigitalOcean because DigitalOcean's world-class bandwidth and their ease of use inside of their uh, easy-to-use dashboard is going to make it really easy for us to do this demonstration. This week, again, I'm using my System76 Limer just to kind of rule out any, uh, any unforeseen circumstances. In fact, it's actually going to work really well because... I left the changes that we made last week when we showed the YubiKey, and I'll actually be able to demonstrate further how YubiKey can be useful. You'll notice when I roll out my DigitalOcean droplet this week, I'm not going to have to sign in with a password. Instead, I'm going to use my YubiKey to authenticate. So I've actually plugged my YubiKey into my laptop, and I'm going to head over to DigitalOcean.com. I've chosen to create a new droplet, and I'm going to call this droplet my X2Go droplet. I'm going to show you exactly how powerful DigitalOcean can be, and we're actually going to run this just on a $5 a month uh, droplet. We're going to put our data center in New York. We're going to be using Ubuntu 14.04 64-bit, and here I'm going to use my lanyard SSH key. I click Create Droplet. That's really all I have to do. Okay, our droplet has spun up, so let's go ahead and see if we can SSH into it. We'll copy the IP address, open a terminal, SSH, root, at, and then the IP address. Now I'm going to accept the authenticity of the key and you're, you're going to notice it's not going to prompt me for a root password. Instead, it's going to prompt me for the pin of my YubiKey and that is of course because I have added my YubiKey 
to the DigitalOcean dashboard. So I'm going to punch in my PIN. And now we're SSH'd into the server. <clears throat> so let's go ahead and get started. The first thing we're going to do is update the repo list. Next thing we're going to do is we're going to install a package called Python Software Properties. And I'm going to append attack Y again so I don't get asked questions. Now we're going to add the X2Go repository. So we're going to go add apt repo. And it's going to be PPA full colon X2Go slash stable. Press enter. And now we can update that repo list again. And now we can go ahead and install the X2Go server. So apt get install X2Go server and X2Go server tack X session. I'm going to append attack Y to the end again. be doing like golf commentary and now yeah. the font cache is reloading it's setting Probably up the x server all right we just completed setting up our x2go server component now x2go is done it's installed it's ready to go but we don't have a desktop to actually connect into if you were doing this on your home desktop or your or your home laptop you'd be done um, because we're doing this on a DigitalOcean droplet and DigitalOcean didn't really anticipate any way that I would be able to plug a keyboard mouse and a monitor into their virtual computer and get a virtual desktop that just really wasn't in their thought process uh, the image doesn't include the necessary components that we need for a desktop environment when I do this, I like to use Ubuntu Mate. And I like to use Ubuntu Mate because I find that it has the lowest resources, save maybe LXDE. Um, it's maybe a little heavier than LXDE, but I think it's way more usable. So I'm a big fan of Ubuntu Mate, and I think that this $5 a month droplet is going to show you exactly how far you can push Ubuntu Mate. We're gonna run it on very limited resources, but I think you're gonna find we have a very usable desktop environment. So let's go back to our terminal, and we're gonna add the repository for Ubuntu Mate. So that's apt add repository ppa full colon ubuntu tac mate tac dev slash ppa press enter to add it we're going to add another one and that's apt add repository ppa full colon ubuntu tac mate tac dev slash trusty tac mate we'll update those <coughs> And 
And at this point, I would I would go through and I would actually do a full system upgrade. So I'm going to go sudo apt-get upgrade. are unpacking. Grub is being set up. Now processing triggers. Creating new dev rules. We could just have some guy sit here and do this. I actually kind of like it. This would be my new gig. If this podcasting thing doesn't work out, I'm going to do commentary of package installs. <laughs> Updating init ramfs and generating slash boot slash init rid dot mg. It's kernel 3.13.0-52 generic. All right. Now we're going to go and install uh, all of the required components for Ubuntu Mate. So that's apt git install, tac tac no tac install tac recommends, Ubuntu tac Mate tac core, and Ubuntu tac Mate tac desktop. And again, a tac y at the end of that. Okay, so now our X2Go server is done. So let's go take a look at what it takes to get the client side set up. All right, now we have our computer completely set up, at least on the server end. So let's go ahead and see what the client configuration looks like. Thankfully, this isn't gonna take nearly as long. Let's go ahead and go to our computer and we're going to open a terminal and we are going to uh, install, sudo apt-get install x2go client. And again, I'm gonna append attack y. Give it our super secret confidential pseudo password and we'll install the client. All right, there's one last thing we have to do before we can actually use our client and that is we have to create ourselves a user. So we're gonna create a user called Kernel Linux. We're gonna assign him a password Uh, we better create him a home directory. And he better own his own home directory. Alright, let's see if we can use the X2Go client. So we're going to open the X2Go client and put an IP address, the user we just created, and we'll choose the Mate desktop. And here is our Mate desktop running on our DigitalOcean droplet. And if we go to IP Chicken, we can see that our IP address is 104.131.186.255, the same IP address as our DigitalOcean droplet. So it proves, in fact, we are on a DigitalOcean droplet. Um, from here, I have a usable desktop. I can install programs just like I ordinarily would. I can actually uh, set this session up inside of the X2Go client 
to be full screen. So let's say I wanted it to take over the entire screen. I can do that. I can use the whole display. And now when I log into, oops, I think I used the wrong password. Now when I use, when I log into my Xtigo client, it'll actually capture my entire screen. And for all intents and purposes, I'm sitting at a computer at DigitalOcean. To get out of the, uh, and you can see it's actually pretty responsive. To get out of this, uh, I just press Control-Alt-T, and that will disconnect me or at least uh, uncapture me, and then I can close the X2Go client. On its face, X2Go might not seem terribly useful, but truthfully, your, uh, your imagination really is the limit. I've started to roll out X2Go in situations where I have clients that have certain network appliances that have uh, web-based administration uh, utilities. It's not really practical for me to set up a VPN and then VPN into that system and then I have to open up a web browser to do all that configuration. I'm certainly not going to open uh, those network appliances out to the public internet. X2Go is a really, really, really simple way for me to forward a single port inside of their network place one box in there, and now I have a machine that sits on their network. The side advantage of that is, even if it's a Windows network, I have a Linux box sitting inside of their network, so I don't have to work uh, with all the problems of Windows. I go right past all that. My box is stable. My box is immune from all of the virus and malware and anything that might traverse the network. And that's worked out to be hugely advantageous. Now, I actually keep a box running 24 hours a day, seven days a week, at ultra speed inside of our shop, and I call that my cloud workstation. And it's basically a place where I keep access uh, to all the files that I would need. Um, I have backups of, of my little thumb drive that I carry with everywhere. Um, and then also, of course, I have access to our, our company network if I need to make changes or if I need to log into a device. Um, I've even had been on a trip some uh, at one point and had a technician call me and say, hey, I have XYZ problem. And I said, no problem, let me look at that. And he said, how do I get the files to you? I said, here's the best way to do it. As they were rather large. I said, plug the hard drive into my cloud workstation. So he went into my office and he plugged it into my cloud workstation. He goes, now what? I said, just wait there. And I opened up my X2Go client and I pulled up my X2Go desktop and browsed the files, did what I needed to do, uh, called him back and said, yep, uh, this is what you need to do. This is the information that you need. And he said, great. How'd you get to him? And I said, ah, don't worry about it. Um, because I can do all of the stuff right on my desktop. It's actually gotten to a point now where when I go into Jupiter Broadcasting, I sit down at the at the table that Chris has prepared for me, and God knows what I'm going to find for a computer there um, because it, ch it changes constantly. Um, but I can use my X2Go client to get back into my desktop at my shop, and now I have that known desktop with all of my known applications, with my email client installed, uh, configured for my use. I even have a little YubiKey that sticks out the back of there so I can SSH into all of my servers. And all that works flawlessly. And as you can see, takes less than 10 minutes to set up. And that brings us to the end of this week's broadcast. But Noah, before we get the crap out of here, we do have some emails to read. And the first one comes in from One Man Show uh, on Linux Distro Choices. He says, love the show. I've been a steady watcher for about a year now and uh, about part-time for two years. Well, how about that? Interesting tidbit. I thought it might be nice to add how I digest your content. Actually, that is interesting. I currently watch the shows via an app installed on my Roku device and love it. There you go. If you don't have it on the Roku, you should. It is actually really great. I have several small one-word uh, one answer questions, uh, and then uh, one question for discussion. I'm a small one-man computer shop in a small town, and I'm consistently looking uh, for avenues in which I can deploy Linux solutions for both myself and my customers. 
Uh, he says, I'm not much for the command line, so here's the quick answer ones. Have you ever guys used Zental for any of your server solutions? Noah? No. For me. For you? Yeah. Yes? Not, not either. No? Both of us. Okay. Number two, more videos and info on what it takes to make your show happen. Oh. Well, uh, that's a possibility. Those take a lot of planning, but that is a possibility. We could do some more behind-the-scenes stuff soon. We probably, you know, you know what we should do, Noah? Well, hmm. Maybe for maybe maybe in August when when we're together doing LinuxCon, we should do mm -hmm. like another walkthrough of the uh, crates and like how that all sets up and how that all works because that's pretty cool. You've done because you did the intro tease video and talked about it, but we've never actually right. like really broken it all down in like a, a video where where it actually plugs into Linux and how Linux then takes and gets the equipment onto the internet and you stuff know, like that. Linux that, might be a good time to do that because there'll be two of us there, so one person can exactly. set up and the other person can film. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So maybe we'll do that around LinuxCon time. That might be coming up. All right, and then his third question: uh, DigitalOcean, as per your guys' recommendation. I've tried to play with it a little, a bit, uh, but command line week. I was wondering if uh, tools like uh, FreeNAS or Xenatol, which is, we've talked about it before, and like he just mentioned above, have remote browser GUIs, which work on hosted services such as DigitalOcean. Is there, if not, is there anywhere you could point me that is a GUI-oriented that would be amazing? Thanks. A potential DigitalOcean uh, things could be used for Minecraft with plugins, web hosting, TeamSpeak, server cloud, data syncing, IRC channels, and Mumble. You know, you can do this. I actually, a uh, friend of the show, Wimpy, has uh, talked about, I think, um, I don't think he was using FreeNAS. I think he was using, tr um, I might have been OpenFiler, uh, but he was using one of the Linux-based uh, NAS solutions on DigitalOcean. I think there is actually a tutorial on how to convert like a Debian install into that. I don't think this is a good way to go. I don't, you're, see, you're never going to be happy with a GUI that manages a TeamSpeak, cloud data syncing, IRC, cha IRC channels, Mumble, and Minecraft. <coughs> That's called a fantasy. And those things suck really bad. We've tried them for many years, and they are awful. They are always the source of vulnerabilities. They always break configurations. They will always, always have to be worked around. And when you work around it, then you can no longer properly use it. And they are a nightmare. It, it seems intimidating to learn the command line. You are smart enough to do it. Trust me, if I can do it, you can do it. You are smart enough to do it. And once you learn it that way... That's huh? how I feel about it. Yeah, yeah. And once I'm like, I don't feel that smart, so if, if I can figure this stuff out... Yeah, you just get over it. It's not that bad. Just think of it as another interface, and it's actually think of it as a simpler interface. It's not more complicated. It's simpler. And once you start thinking of it in that terms, it's not so scary. And if you learn how these config files work, if you learn their syntax, it's, it's like learning a fundamental skill that carries with you. Doesn't matter what service provider you put it on. Doesn't matter. Like, as they begin to progress the, the software and how it works, you'll keep with it. When you use that GUI to manage it, you are completely detached from that lower level, and it leaves you essentially handicapped yep. in the future if you lose mm -hmm. that tool. It leaves you disadvantaged. It's like um, those worlds in Star Trek. I don't know if you're a Star Trek fan, uh, one-man show, but you remember like uh, there's that one in Star Trek The Next Generation where they kidnap all the children, and uh, like they, they discover that like the computer runs the world, or like there's the one in Star Trek The Next Generation where Kirk discovers that the computer runs the entire world and nobody knows how it works, or that one where they kidnap Spock's brain and the computer runs the entire civilization and they're in an asteroid, or that one where there's that ancient civilization that lives on a planet that talks to this god rock, turns out to be a computer, and none of them know how it works because nobody knows how the technology works, or that one episode of Star Trek... Oh, wait, you get the theme, right? See, when people don't learn how their tools work, then they don't actually understand truly how to use them, and it's not really a good long-term strategy for you. That's what these management GUIs kind of do, is they, they, they just get too much in the way. They seem like a good idea when you're intimidated, but really what you need to be addressing is what is intimidating you, not avoiding the intimidation. And I know it seems way easier, but man, trust me, I have tried a lot of them, and it's just not the best way to go. And it starts small. Minecraft is super, super easy to run on the command line. Like, 
install Java, go run the jar file. That's all you really got to do. It's really easy to start there. Um, something else you might want to try, like a TeamSpeak server, that's also pretty easy because there's a lot of how-tos on that. So start there. Start with something where there's a lot of resources. Don't go in the deep end. Start with something simple. Build up a little confidence. Avoid the I'd website. I'd start with SSH. I'd start with SSH because the, you will learn the basic. I, first of all, SSH works without changing anything. So you can just install SSH, which is a single command to install the SSH daemon. And then from there, there's a config file. And you can learn how to change a config file and how those changes, uh, and how those changes uh, affect real time. So, for example, you'll learn very quickly that once you change something in the SSH config file, you have to restart the SSH daemon for that config file to be reloaded and those changes to take effect. And you can, you can master... The, the the basic skill that 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 scales all the way up to, to huge deployments. I would start with SSH. That's a really great, great way to point. learn the concept. Great point. Yeah, and sure lots of guides out there. You want to take uh, Ben's email? I do. So Ben writes in and goes, was listening to last episode 373 and felt the need to comment on a concern that X, uh, that Chris had about X2Go. Until relatively recently, the only reason that I was still using Windows VM in my environment was strictly for remote access remote desktop access to my network. I would forward X over an SSH session and then uh, our, our desktop into it. This was due to a couple of reasons, but the biggest was that VNC and straight X forwarding was for a performance experience. I agree. I decided to look around for a better solution, came across X2Go and decided to give it a go. I no longer have a Windows 7 VM for remote desktop purposes in my environment. X2Go does everything I need uh, and does it with pretty great performance. I can watch a YouTube video with X2Go Windows smoothly. The desktop performs great, and best of all, sessions are kept and can be picked up later. Chris, if you haven't had it, if you have a need for a remote desktop, I highly suggest giving it a go. If you have an SSH server set up already, and that server has a desktop manager installed on it, you already have most of what you need. Just add the X2Go software, the client, the server, and you are done. I thought that was particularly relevant this week because yeah. we have shown exactly how to do just that, and I feel like a lot of people fall into that same thing. I thought the same thing. I thought I have used X2Go forwarding, and this is not, you know, it, it's not that usable. I mean, it's all right, but it's not great. And so I, I'm not going to waste my time setting up X2Go. X2Go makes it is is all yeah. the difference. It yep. is as responsive, if not more responsive than RDP. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I was shocked. So. I mentioned at the top of the last segment, uh, uh, when I use the earlier iterations of the technology before it's gone through all the changes it has now, and it's continue to be awesome, is I could actually watch mm -hmm. YouTube videos in a remote desktop session. Yeah. Blowing my mind. And that was a long time ago. <laughs> it's very cool. So great. Did it do sound? Huh? Yeah, did, did I, it do I sound? think it, it okay. did sound, but I actually don't specifically remember if it did sound. Yeah. That so, was the one thing that blew me away, was it actually forwards all of the Pulse stuff and Ulsa yeah. stuff over. Yeah, well, I, so. this would have been probably before Pulse. I think this was like Gnome 2 era. I mean, this is a long time ago, but I'm not, I, I can't quite remember. Uh, all right, Eduardo writes in with our last email of the day. He says, hello, known Chris, big thanks for all the shows. Big fan of last. I learn something new every single time. That's awesome. I want to tell you the episode about SIP was great. I've been using SIP with soft phones for a while. I bought a DID at uh, flynumber.com, and they gave, you, uh, they gave me access to a virtual PBX. They now use PBXWW. It's a fantastic web interface. Hey, speaking of GUIs, you know, and I almost think in some cases... A GUI like this, like or like or like what uh, like what DigitalOcean does, or like what Hover does, or like what these people do would do, where they control the service. That control panel makes sense. Uh, the kind of the kind of control panels, the GUIs that I am against. I want to make this clear: are the ones you kind of install yourself, or like cPanel and things like that, or or uh, what's the one that starts with a P that really sucks that gets compromised? Um, PHP MyAdmin. No. No, you know, it's the one everybody loves. Uh, anyways, uh, these GUIs that you roll yourself, that you have to maintain yourself, you know, 
I, those ones. Anyways, all right. I get off. I, I get off my soapbox. I just want to. I just. I want to make it clear. This particular kind of thing, like if I was gonna go get a like a PBX service, you know, like for 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 asterisks or whatever, I would. Uh, I would actually want them to have a web GUI. So, I, I, anyways. Um, he said, I want to tell you about this. This it was great. Uh, it allows me to have three DIDs, all sent to my SIP number, recording the call using internal extensions, having routing depending on the time of day, and much more. So this is flynumber.com. He seems to really like it. He says, and thanks to Noah's recommendation, I got a new Cisco ATA-112 connected to a cordless phone, and now I'm in heaven. Thanks again. All the best from Spain. Are you getting a lot of this? A lot of people are loving the SIP stuff. Yeah, yeah, actually, I find two things. A lot of people that that are totally loving it. Most people have been there for like seven years and are like, "Welcome to the boat, Noah." Yeah, <laughs> we've all been here. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah, that's super fun. Real time uh, follow up from Alpaco. It was Plesk. It was the uh, was the web GUI I was thinking of. Ah. I, I want to just plug our Patreon because uh, Tech Talk today is off the air. While uh, I well, I took some time off last week, and then now we're going to OSCON, so I don't get a chance to mention this to some of the audience members. But there is a real serious way you can contribute to the network uh, and help us expand our live on on event location coverage. Help us continue our productions under Linux. Help us grow new shows. Help us plan for new content and give us runway and budget predictability. And hopefully, long term, maybe even bring some in technical and production staff into the actual studio patreon.com slash today it is a patreon page for the entire network now tech talk today is an offshoot of this as sort of a thank you for our patrons i make that show and we also have an activity feed where we have some exclusives for our patrons it is a tech talk today patreon but it is for all of the shows on the network every single show is contributed by this funding uh, and i'm hoping to be able to raise some baseline funding so that way we can hire some in-studio help uh, maybe have somebody sit on the mic for a couple of shows with me, and um, I want to be able to give them some predictability. I want to actually offer them something they can count on. And I don't want to necessarily have to go to sponsors to do it, necessarily. I think it'd probably be better if we can do that from the audience. So patreon.com slash today. Right now we have 564 people. I'd really, I mean, I think when we start getting, when we start getting around 600, maybe a little, I'm not quite sure what that would work out funding-wise, because it depends depend on the funding. I really want to start talking to getting somebody in here seriously, and I would love to be able to do that with the audience's support. But also, we want to keep expanding our live coverage of these real community events, things like Self, things like Linux Fest Northwest, OSCON. We want to do these things. We want to keep doing them. And we want to keep doing them better and better and better, and we want to really become an authoritative source on this stuff so you guys can see our Linux community at its absolute best. Patreon.com slash today. Thank you, everybody. I really do appreciate it. Noah, if people want to find you throughout the week, you have anywhere you want to send them? Except for all well, this week, you're going to be at OSCON. But. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, this week, join us at OSCON. Uh, but ordinarily, I will be at uh, In Grand Forks plugging away at the salt mines. I actually, we're going to do, I, I should actually, I should, uh, if, I, if, if I get permission, I will I'll film a lot of this, uh, a lot of the new install stuff we've done. Because actually, it's really cool. Like, oh, if yeah. You like cable porn and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. this is great. I mean, everything is just neat and organized. And it was great because I was sitting in this hotel and this lady, she goes, uh, she's a sales manager and she goes oh um uh i i i'm I, she, she this is what she said she goes i'm gonna go get a salad while i wait for my computer to boot up so she like she got in her car and drove away and i'm like what was she serious and, and they're like oh yeah her laptop takes forever to start up so i look in and it's like this old hp running vista so she comes back and i'm like how long has it been doing that? She's like, oh, can you fix that? And I'm like, no, no, I can't fix that. And I'm like, here's what you're going to do. Here's a thumb drive. Put all your data on there. Give me 20 minutes after you're done. <laughs> so she copies all of her data over to a thumb drive. She hands me the computer. And I installed Ubuntu Mate on it. Nice. And, and gave it back to her and, and, and set it up. And she looks and she goes, 
this is awesome. It's like a brand new computer. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, that, cool. was, that was my convert for the weekend. Nice. Good one. Good one. I love that was a drive-by one. Uh, yeah, usually I bother backing everything up and yeah. like making an image in case they want to roll back. In her case, that, that was a waste of time. There's no going back to that. There was no going back to that. Uh, I got a new Twitter account. I've mentioned it a few times if you want to follow me. Uh, Twitter.com slash Chris LES. I don't do a lot on there, but I might be tweeting like when we go to events and stuff like that. So that might be a cool place. We also have the, uh, the network account, Jupiter Signal. And that's like live announcements, show releases, schedule changes, network news. That's at Jupiter Signal. And of course, Noah, you're on there too, right? Perhaps? I am at Kernel Linux. Oh, how about that? In fact, I actually now that I've removed Facebook from uh, from my my cell phone, I actually use Twitter, the, the Twitter sphere, exclusively now for for social networking. Wow, so, that's big, Noah. Yeah. That's big news. That I we should have put that in the news segment. Holy crap! Yeah. Holy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, we will be live, I believe, next Sunday uh, mm-hmm. at 10 a.m. That'll probably be our OSCON. We'll probably, yeah, wow, that's interesting. We should have some time to actually, well, who knows what happens, but hopefully we'll have some good cl- coverage right. and interviews exclusively from OSCON. And uh, we'll be live at jblive.tv Sunday at 10 a.m. Pacific. Go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. And then we have robots there that are written in JavaScript. Yeah, you've heard about, uh, like, people write, like, you know, different things in JavaScript. I'm sure that's fancy. Robots, people, entire robots written in JavaScript. That's over at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. Don't believe me? Go look and tell me that calendar doesn't automatically update to your own time zone. How else do you explain that? You can also email the show. Go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact, not calendar, but you can go to both. And then the contacts forms, that's where the monkeys are at. And the monkeys sit, there's this drop-down box. And depending on which item you pick in that drop-down box, a different monkey slings poo at a different host. I'm not calling your email poo. That's jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact. And then last but not least, linuxactionshow.reddit.com to make the show even better, contribute to the community, etc. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of the Linux Action Show. We'll see you right back here next week. Coming up on this week's episode of the Linux Action Show, it's the best remote desktop solution. In fact, it's so damn good, you could probably make it your full-time desktop. We're going to show you how to use x to go on the big show today. And then in the news segment, is it finally time for Flash to die and are Linux PC manufacturers leading the charge? We'll cover that. And we have some great news for those of you who have been concerned about Canonical's contribution policies. Your face smells, and Firefox has a new fork with a lot of money behind it. We're going to tell you about all of that. Plus, in the feedback segment, we got some emails that you probably don't even care about. Screw you. I hate you guys. And then in the pick segment, I'm going to shove it down your face and make you say thank you. Mm-hmm. So, here you go. And, it's pretty and, good tease. And that is great. And, and uh, don't forget, may I have another? <laughs> oh, man. I'm having one of those mornings where uh, I just, I, I swear, I can, I, I'm just moving it. I'm moving it. When, and you're going to be here next week, and you're going to watch me do this. And I just move the tab. I move the tab. And then eventually, I don't change my pace. I don't change the mouse. I don't change anything. I just move it, 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 move it. Boom! All of a sudden, new window. Window. Whoa! New window. Where'd that come from? I didn't want a new window. I was moving, 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 moving. Whoa! Whoa! Like, why does it do that? Why does it do that? I don't understand. And I only have to do it one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight times for this segment. So it just starts to bug me after a while. Yeah, yeah, of course. Only eight times. <laughs> you should use Firefox. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that won't get me grumpy. That will solve my yeah, problem. Right. Yep. That'll make it all better. Mm-hmm. <gasps> uh-huh. Maybe it is a gnome thing, guys. Maybe it is. I don't know. I just mm-hmm. think it's a chrome thing. I think it's a chrome thing. Moving, 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 boom! <laughs> I just like, and it's like, and you know, it, 
You know what's the worst thing about it, too? I know this is such a first world problem, but the worst thing about it, dude, is like when I'm in the last two or three tabs and I only have like one or two more tabs to go, I'm like, oh my god, I'm gonna do it this time. I'm gonna boom! And I'm just like, no! I'm just like, oh my god, it's doing it, it's doing it! Boom! No! I was one tab away! This time I was one tab away. Sometimes I'm like four tabs away, and that doesn't seem like such a loss, but when I get all the way to one tab, I've yeah. moved it all the way over, and I only Here's have one more. How about not having 10,000 tabs open? Have you ever considered that option? Well, I guess I could, if I did an audio show, maybe I wouldn't need 10,000 tabs. But since you, I have to show shit all the time. Yeah, but I feel like there's, you know, there's only X amount of links in the show doc. Even that doesn't equate to, to No, to I said tabs. it was eight. I said it was eight. Eight, yeah. <laughs> there's not, is there, are there eight for the news? Yeah. One. There's actually two. one. See, okay, so hold on, hold on. I'll tell you how many there is because I have them open right now. How about that, smart guy? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, yeah, nine, yeah. ten. Because you also have the dock and the markdown preview tab. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. You see? You see? Yeah. Very uh, clever, Chris. <laughs> it's just, it's funny. It's the weird things that eat away at you over time that you wouldn't expect. Yeah. You wouldn't expect them yeah. to be dragging tabs. Oh, but I'll tell you why it eats away with you because it's a problem you shouldn't be having. Like, I'm perfectly fine with complex problems that, yeah. you know, when there's, when there's huge, large moving yep. parts, it's not such a big deal. But no. when it's something very simple, like I just want to move this tab for, to yeah. another portion and, of the browser, and it's something, seem like it should be it's something I do for every show for every segment, so I do it a mm -hmm. lot. I got garlic in my mouth in the morning. It's just super distracting. I'm sorry. <laughs> and it's really warm in here already, so mm -hmm. I, I got a mouthful of garlic. It's hot in here. Firefox like is crashing bug. on that OBS computer for God knows what reason. I didn't even know Firefox was running in the background. But apparently, Firefox has been running on that computer since you were here last. And now, even though... Oh, yeah, I was here last. It has nothing to do with the fact that you were using it to do Hangouts last week. Or the no, week no, that, no, the, the OBS computer. Oh, oh, oh. No, I didn't even touch that after it said that. No, I'm just saying die. somebody started Firefox on it, and you were the last person to use it. I'm just saying. Okay. I well, like that you're defending yourself. I did not start Firefox. I did not do that. Like, okay, no, no. okay, all right. If it was, it was just working, Firefox, dude. If it was working fine, I wouldn't defend it. I'd be like, yeah, I was the one that started that up. Yeah, well, thank God Firefox was running. Because Firefox was running, it picked up a secondary copy of the stream, and we had a backup. I mean, thank God Firefox yeah. was started. Yeah, and see, that I would take credit for. I'd be like, I was the one that did that.